0: Well good morning. Good morning morning to those of you over in the traditional service as well. It really is a, a pleasure to be here this morning. As Pastor Angie said, I have a few connections here to First Lutheran or Community of Grace. I love your new name. Angie and I have known each other for 20 years. I knew Pastor Steve when he was here, when my husband and I lived briefly in the Twin Cities. We worshipped here before we moved uh, up to Duluth, where we live now. And I know a couple of your current and former staff people. Kevin Sheldon, who is helping over in the traditional service. I've known you since you were nine. <laughs> and Danny Householder, your former intern, was a kid in the church where I worked in Iowa for many years. So it's really it's great to be here. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God who comes to us at Christmas time, that you are Emmanuel, God, with us. We thank you for your truth, for your word. We thank you for the freedom to gather here and worship. We thank you that we live in a nation where we can proclaim who you are and do that every week and do that on the streets as Michaela does and did. We thank you that you allow us to seek you more in our imperfection and in our sinfulness. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be exceptional in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as Angie said, you're in the middle of an Advent series. If you're new to the church world, Advent is simply a season, the few weeks leading up to Christmas. It means approaching or coming. We prepare for Christmas. Last week, you started the series called What Do You Want for Christmas? And Pastor Angie preached about the fact that What you ask for and what you prepare for is generally what you get. If you prepare for nostalgia and the perfect Christmas, you're going to be disappointed. On the other hand, if you prepare for a Savior who wants to come in and change your life and change your family and be a part of who you are, well, that's what you're going to get too. Next week is the Christmas program, the kids, adults, music, We'll tell the story of Jesus in that way, and then the Sunday right before Christmas, the series concludes with the story of Joseph and his unexpected gift for Christmas. This week, we get to focus on Mary, God's plan and his call for Mary, the mother of Jesus, and how his plan and call for Mary is similar to his call and his plan for you. Luke chapter 1, the scripture that was just read, takes place right after the Holy Spirit came to Elizabeth and Zechariah and said they're going to have a baby. So Elizabeth was pretty old. She had no business being pregnant. And so Luke tells us the story of Elizabeth who becomes pregnant with John the Baptist. Okay, so if you fast forward a little bit, those of you Bible junkies that know the story, John the Baptist is the one who later on tells of Jesus coming. So Luke starts out with that miracle, that Elizabeth is going to have John the Baptist. In our scripture for today, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary's greatly troubled, doesn't know why there's an angel there and the angel continues to tell her, don't be afraid. You've been looked on with favor. God will uh, allow you to conceive and give birth to a son and he will be called the son of the most high. Most of you know that Christmas story and the part that Mary plays in it. Bible scholars call this whole thing the Annunciation. It just means the announcement. And it's the piece where God comes to earth and says, this is really going to happen. Now, we talk about the Annunciation right before Christmas because it happens in Scripture right before the Christmas story. But if you know anything about pregnancy, it probably was about March when the angel came (laughs) to Mary. And the Catholic Church actually celebrates a really neat festival day where they celebrate the angel coming to Mary, an Annunciation festival march 25th so at the annunciation the angel brings news to mary that's going to change her life and that's going to completely change the world that's the annunciation and is a mary is mary's immediate reaction oh golly angel i was waiting for someone to pick me i'm really great and i think i'd be a wonderful part of the story for eternity no that's not what she says Mary's immediate reaction, according to scripture, is to be greatly troubled, which is really kind of a dippy translation. She's not troubled. She's wholly, entirely agitated and disturbed. She's freaked out, according to the Greek. First of all, because there's a giant angel calling on her. And second of all, because he says you're going to be pregnant. And she has absolutely no business being pregnant. She was engaged, which is a whole lot deeper than our engagement today. She was essentially already married, except They hadn't combined their household or their bedroom yet. But she was not supposed to be pregnant. She is freaked out, wholly disturbed, and agitated. And this is important, because Mary's most immediate concern was for faithfulness to her purity, her reputation, the things that would affect her life in a very real and practical way. We have this fictional sweet picture of Mary saying, oh Lord, yes, me, I know the end of the story and I'm part of it. No, not at all. Mary was very human and very earthy in her reaction. See, this is how we were wired. Our our human experience focuses on ourselves when we get big news. We think of how it's going to work practically. When we hear about life-changing things, we focus on the very real impact on us. To give you an example, Angie told you I have have four kids under seven, and we homeschool. I do freelance speaking and preaching and stuff on the side, but my life is four kids, so thank you for letting me come to preach, by the way. Ah, I drove down from Duluth last night, and I woke up this morning, and it was so quiet. There were no Legos on my floor, and I didn't have to make anybody toast with half peanut butter and half jam, but not touching in the middle. Anyway, so you can imagine my kids' reaction when we tell them we're gonna have another baby. I have a newborn at home, so you can imagine what did did they say when we said we're gonna have another baby? Oh, mother and father, what joy! This child shall bring greatness to our family and serve the kingdom of God in many ways. No, here's the list of what they said. Number one, who gets to hold him first? I get to hold him first, Mom! Number two, do I have to share my room? Number three, is he going to spit up on me? I don't want to spit up, baby. I want to clean, baby. <laughs> number four, when I'm 100, Mom, how old will the baby be? I'll still be older, right? <laughs> number five, will the baby eat all the yogurt? <laughs> number six, where will the baby sit in the car? I'm not moving. <laughs> number seven, will the baby have our same phone number? <laughs> number eight, the baby can't have the green plate. I always get the green plate. Number nine, will the baby eat all of my chips? And number 10, for my only daughter, mom, if it's a boy, I think we should go live with grandma. (laughs) (laughs) It's the same for us, right? It's the same for us. When we get big news, we want to know what's in this for me. How is it going to impact me? What's the change in my life because of this life-changing news? Whether it's the loss of a job or a new job or a bad weather forecast or a death in the family or a health diagnosis or new politicians in office, what is this going to do to my life? It's the responsible human thing to do. So how wonderful, what a gift that the gospel writer Luke showed us in one sentence how human Mary was. She was greatly troubled. See, that's important because it wasn't until the angel put to rest her earthly concerns that she could really answer. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. A better translation is, Nothing is impossible. With God, the angel says. Then Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. It wasn't until the angel said, nothing is impossible with God. Look at Elizabeth. She's way too old to be pregnant, and God did that. It's not until the angel said, this is God we're talking about, Mary. It wasn't until she heard that God is in control that Mary could rest on her faith and say, may your word be fulfilled. So the first thing the Annunciation shows us right off the bat is that the coming of Jesus will disregard our practical human expectations and limitations. The king of the universe shouldn't be coming as a baby. Women don't get pregnant until they're married and babies don't become saviors of the world. Yes, they do. So at this point, um, Mary needs some girl time and heads down to her relative Elizabeth's house for a few months, and scholars make a big deal out of that. Was she ashamed and hiding and did they send her away? We don't know, she went to Elizabeth's house. And there, even though she had already said yes to the angel, it's here that Mary really starts to grasp what is going to happen in her life. She starts to get, for the first time, that she's part of something so much bigger. She's catching the vision of what might happen. See, as a good Jewish girl, Mary knew that a redeemer was coming. She knew that someone was coming. She, she had known from scripture that sometime a savior would come. But it seems that until she lays eyes on Elizabeth, a pregnant Elizabeth whom the Holy Spirit had gotten pregnant late in life, and the angel told her, look at Elizabeth, in her old age, that Mary starts to put two and two together, and the Holy Spirit works in her, and she realizes that what the angel said is very possible and very true. You can see this in the song that Mary sings. We call it the Magnificat. It's a canticle, which is a certain type of hymn in the book of Luke. Magnificat is just Latin for magnifies because Mary talks about her soul being magnified. So she's visiting Elizabeth, and Mary sings this song, I think they have it up on the screen for you. Mary said my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name. See Mary starts with her. He has he's looked on me, he's regarded me, he's chosen me. She recognizes that God knows her. But her song, her account, her magnificat Then goes one step further. If we keep going, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. She keeps going, he's filled the hungry with good things and helped the servants of Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. She's singing this sweeping song that goes from her to the history of God's people and to the future of God's people. What's happening is that Mary is moving from me to him, lowly and humble, to being part of something exalted and holy, which is a picture of the point of Christmas. It's a picture of the great exchange of Christmas where God takes the holy and brings it to earth and makes it flesh. And he takes the flesh, the humanness of Mary, the humanness of a stable and cows and hay and baby and childbirth and makes it holy, and eternal. So what does that have to do with you? Let's go back to Mary's words. When the angel first tells her, greetings, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Mary's response is, who am I that I should be regarded? Who am I that I would be chosen for this? That's what it has to do with you. Because of God's choice, you have been chosen. You have been regarded. In all your humanness, in all your junk, in all your sin, God has chosen you. He has looked with favor upon you because of Jesus. That's the great gospel of Christmas. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does it feel like to be regarded, to be chosen, to be set apart like Mary was. Can you remember how that feels in your life? Have you ever won an award or been promoted or had a surprise party thrown for you or been proposed to, ladies? The joy of being kind of acknowledged and set apart begins as kids, right? Maybe it was a teacher acknowledging your work in school or making you stand up in front of the class for something that you did. You remember that feeling. Maybe it was your Scandinavian dad saying, I'm proud of you. all it took. I'll never forget when my five-year-old won honorable mention in a coloring contest at the rhubarb festival in Duluth. (laughs) The details of the event aren't important but you remember that feeling. You remember that you were chosen, you were set apart, you were special. Everything else sort of disappeared because you were chosen. When I was a pastor down at Lutheran Church of Hope in Iowa, one of the events they did every year was a daddy-daughter dance, like a father-daughter ball around February. And it's a huge church. We had a gymnasium, and they would hold this dance in the gym. And dads could bring their little girls or grandpas. It was a special day for dads and daughters. And people would get their tickets. And, I mean, they had a photographer and cupcakes and balloons and streamers, and they danced all night long. It was a great event and a great ministry. Well... One year I was there on that weekend and the daddy-daughter dance had happened on Friday night and there were hundreds and hundreds of kids and girls and dads and it was a huge blowout. It was great. Well, the next night was Saturday and we had worship services on Saturday evening and worship services were concluding, you know, six or seven in the evening and I was one of the last ones to leave the building along with some of our media tech people and the lights were kind of going off and I was heading on my way through our big atrium and I saw someone coming in the door. And I looked, and this person coming in the door was a man in a nice suit. And next to him was a little girl. And he came towards me, and he came into the building, and he took one look around the dark building, and I could see him crumble. He had missed the dance. They had come the wrong night. It had been the night before. And I could see him just be crushed. And he walked towards me and I walked towards him and we made eye contact. And this little girl had no idea. She's looking all around at the big building. I get to come to church at night. How exciting. But I could see this dad just broken. He had blown it. And he came towards me and for some reason God let my mind think really fast. And I said to him, are you here for the daddy-daughter dance? And he looks at me like, (laughs) and I said, I think the daddy-daughter dance is about to start in the gym. And he's looking at me like, what in the world? (laughs) And just at that minute, one of our media tech guys, who you know will do anything for you, was walking by, and I went up to him, I walked up to him, and with this dad and this daughter behind me, and I looked at him, I said, Ryan, the daddy-daughter dance is about to start down in the gym, isn't it? And he looked at me. (laughs) And then he looked behind me at the dad and the little girl, and bless his heart, he got it. He said, absolutely, the daddy-daughter dance is about to start down in the gym. And so I turned to the dad and the little girl, and I said, now you meet us down at the doors to the gym in five minutes. The dad's like, okay. (laughs) So I ran to the children's ministry department and I said, please don't have cleaned up. Please don't have cleaned up too much. They had cleaned up. There was nothing. I was looking for anything. I found some stickers and I think a coloring sheet and a pink crayon. And I met them down at the doors to the gym. And in a few minutes, I heard music start to play. And I said, I think the dance is starting. And we opened the door. And the disco ball was going. And the lights were flashing. And the music was playing. And that little girl looked like she had won the biggest prize in the world. They walked into that gym, and we shut the doors, and she danced with her daddy. They played the chicken dance and the hokey pokey and princess songs, and they danced and they danced, and a few of us were crowded around those little gym windows watching them dance. And they danced a slow song, and he picked her up, and they spun around, and they danced. And you know what? That little girl didn't care at all that there weren't balloons and streamers and cupcakes and a photographer. She didn't care that there were a hundred other little girls that were supposed to be there. The only thing that mattered was that he had chosen her. The only thing going on in that room was that her dad had chosen her. See, at Christmas, God strips away all the decorations. At Christmas in Bethlehem in a stable, God stripped away all the kings and the kingdoms and the power and the princes and the politics and the expectations of hundreds of years of what a savior is supposed to look like. He took all that away so that Mary would know, so that you would know, so the world would know that he chooses you. In all your earthliness, in all your sinfulness, he chooses you. But it doesn't stop there. Remember Mary's song? It goes from her to the Savior, her to, to holiness. Like Mary, not only have you been chosen, but you've been chosen for something. And you get that message all the time around here at Community of Grace when Michaela came and lit this candle, that is a picture of you here at Community of Grace, isn't it? I didn't plan that. She gave you that story to tell you this is what you've been chosen for. You've been chosen for something, and that something is to share the truth of Jesus Christ and then live like you actually believe that it's true. And the Annunciation story tells us how we're going to get the power to do that. Because you think, well, I've been chosen, to change the world, and I don't... God says, oh, I'll give you the power to do it. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that was there at the creation of the world, the same Holy Spirit that allowed Elizabeth and Zechariah to have a child, the same Holy Spirit that allowed Mary to give birth to Jesus, and the same Holy Spirit that you have been given to do work in his name. You're not God but you get to do his work by his authority. One more story and then I'll stop talking or they'll make me go. <laughs> My grandpa was the sheriff of Carleton County in northern Minnesota back in the 40s, 50s, 60s. Carleton County is about 900 square miles, it's just south of Duluth. And so he was sheriff during the time, like picture Andy Griffith's show. I mean, some of the black and white pictures I've seen are great he had this immense job to cover that entire county. My dad and my aunt, when they were little, actually grew up in the jail. The jail at that time was attached to the sheriff's house, so they grew up in the jail. It was a whole different time in law enforcement. My dad has a memory of one time my grandfather was driving um, a a criminal to St. Cloud State Prison. And uh, my dad was a teenager at the time, and so the bad guy was sitting in the front seat And the sheriff, my grandpa, was sitting in the driver's seat, and my dad, the teenager, was in the back, and my grandpa gave him a billy club and said, all right, if things go south, you just clock him. (laughs) True story. True story, another story. Sometimes he would have a deputy during his time in office, sometimes he'd have a deputy to help in this immense work of the county, and sometimes he wouldn't. But one of the things that they did, they deputized my grandmother. Because there were times where she had to function in an authoritative way with some of the prisoners or transport somebody, so she was deputized. Well, my dad tells the story of one time my grandma was driving the sheriff's car. It was the only car they had at the time, and grandma was driving the kids to school or into town. My dad remembers my aunt was little because she had a little dress on, so they weren't too old. They were sitting in the back of the sheriff's car on the way to school, and a driver comes up behind them and is being reckless on the road and pulls around them and starts tearing down the road. Well. So grandma turns on the lights, turns on the siren, and peels after the guy, (laughs) pulls him over. And I'm making this part up, but I can picture it. And her in her sensible 1950s heels and her pantyhose gets out of the car, marches up to the guy, probably gives him a lecture, writes him a ticket, and off they go to school. And guess what? The next day, that guy came in and paid that ticket. And he paid that ticket not because she was the sheriff, but because she had authority to do work in his name. Like Mary, you have been chosen. Like Mary, you have been given power not to bear the Son of God, but to love and serve the world through the power of God. So take that to your Advent this year. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, Holy is his name. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you choose us. You choose us to do your work in the world. And not only that, you give us the power to do it. Help us see this Advent, that you breaking into the world is so much more than the shopping that we need to do. It's so much more than the decorations and the to-do list That it's a reminder that you have picked us out of the world to be redeemed, to be holy, and to love the world like you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.